I'm Mary Lyons, the Wealth Woman. And I'm Eric Alexander with Acorn Grove. Welcome to the Big Wealth Podcast. Today, we are going to talk about something everyone is really interested in. Uh, (laughs) We're going to talk about sequence of return risk. Now, I may have just said those words, and you may be thinking, what the heck even is that? And if you are, that is okay. So we are going to walk through what sequence of return risk is and how it could affect you in retirement, and then what to do about it. So Eric, you want to open us up. What is sequence of return risk? Well, I'm so glad you asked, Mary. (laughs) Uh, So sequence of return risk is one of these crazy sort of, um, I don't know, weird math terms that we use for volatility. Um, And when you think about your your journey up the mountain, we always talk about sort of up the mountain, down the mountain, right? The volatility in the market when you're working is a really good thing. Because when American Airlines drops to whatever it was a couple of years ago, $3 a share, and everyone went and bought American Airlines stock at $3 a share, and then they ride it up to whatever it went to, that volatility was really amazing because it it was a buying opportunity. Like that was a great thing, Right. right? And that volatility along the way is what add some spice to life. It adds some Maylocks to the moments when everything is going badly, but those are good things because they're opportunities, right? The, where sequence of return comes in is when there's volatility during distribution. So when you're in retirement and you're, you need 10% every year in the market, or you need 30 or whatever you feel like you need, that's, that's good, right? Whenever those things happen, when the market gives you 10 and you want 10, that's amazing. When the market loses 10, but you're distributing money out of that account, that's bad because you lost 10 in the market, but you also lost whatever you pulled for income. Right. You're compounding your losses. Yeah. And then as you're recovering, the market always tends to recover. It does well. As you pull money out during retirement, as you're living and paying your bills and paying electricity, you're kneecapping that recovery. Right. Right. And so where sequence of risk comes in is if I have a bunch of good returns in a row, I don't have that problem. If I have a bunch of bad returns in a row, I have a big problem. And the middle of that problem is I have no control over what I'm going to get next year or the year after. Or when. Right. Yeah. So this is is essentially about how the timing of your wins or losses is going to affect the solvency of your portfolio while you're taking income for retirement. Right. Right. And so this is a problem that we look at, I would say, on a daily basis as we are are helping our clients understand the possibilities and the things that happen to them. And and I really think this is one of the key problems that has to be solved for if you are building any type of financial strategy. And so if you think about sort of conventional or traditional planning methodology, it's save all your money, put it all in the stock market, and then how much can I safely spend each year? And the industry has kind of come up with an acceptable standard of somewhere between three and 4%. And if you've listened to previous podcasts, you'll know that I'm going to argue on the lower end of that at closer to a 3% distribution. Because if you're retiring at 65, and you need your money to last for your life potential, not life expectancy, because you don't know how long you're going to live. You could live well beyond that. But if you're trying to make your money last for life potential, the safe withdrawal rate is really about 3% because of sequence of return risk. 
Now you could get a really great sequence of returns and everything is good and rosy and beautiful. And then you could increase what you're spending over time, or you could retire and 2008 type of losses could occur in the early stages of your retirement and your experience could be totally different. And to the point you just made, Eric, there's no actual ability to predict what is going to happen for you. You get one shot at this, right? You got one lifetime, okay. unless you believe in reincarnation, then maybe you get a second shot. If you are reincarnated as a human being, the next time you are <laughs> around the planet, but realistically in this lifetime, you get one shot and we got to figure out how can you enjoy as much of your assets as possible without jeopardizing uh, the the ability to take income over your retirement lifetime. Right. Well, and it goes to a concept and we'll, I want to, we're going to walk through some of the math because I think it's kind of fascinating, but it goes back to this concept that I don't, I don't want to have the subset of solutions where I win be really, really narrow, meaning the only way I get all the way through retirement and to my graduation date from the planet with more money than birthdays and having a really great life. I don't want to have that, that situation, that, that path to, to be predicated on only one outcome meaning everything was rosy and the only way it wins is if it's amazing. Is yeah, hope it's hope, amazing. hope, is not a strategy. Is that the- Yeah, that was a way, way more- say that? <laughs> I don't know, right? Well, I get what you're saying though, right? If, if you look at all the possible sequences of returns that have occurred historically, and right. we kind of project those into the future and randomize them and we do the Monte Carlo simulations, um, you know, if you're building a strategy that- you know, falls apart in the worst 10% of possible market sequences, that is exactly the time you want your plan to work is when the world goes to hell in a handbasket. And right. so I, I do find it interesting that with conventional methodologies, a lot of times they'll show outcomes that work 90% of the time. And you're like, oh yeah, that seems pretty good. That's Those odds are great, right? But what happens the other 10% of the time? I'm just broke and there's nothing I can do about it. Right. And then and then the answer from the advisor is what? Yeah, but that probably won't happen to you. I'm sorry. Can you put in writing that it won't happen to me? Like exactly. I need a legally binding contract that says that's not going to happen to me in retirement. Because when it comes down to it, right? If, if an airline crashed one out of every 10 planes that took off, that's a 90% survival rate. You know, and, and it probably won't happen on your flight, but I'm getting anxiety just even thinking about this, you know, <laughs> I mean, that that airline would be shut down by regulators faster than you could snap your fingers. Oh and yet goodness. we have advisors all around the country telling their clients, oh, yeah, it's safe. You can do this. Right. Well, all, and only with your money. <laughs> nowhere else. That, and that's when you walk into the office and they're like, hey, everything's going poorly. And the advisor pulls out a Thelma and Louise movie. They're like, all right, here's our next strategy. Here's what we're going to do. Drive off a cliff. Yeah. All right. So let's, <laughs> what could go up Like you're on a roller coaster, right? right. I don't want that kind of excitement with my money when I'm retired. Right. <laughs> I just don't. So let's walk through a little bit of that. And we'll show a screen here for those of you watching uh on YouTube or on, on video, but then we'll, we'll kind of discuss it as we go. But I think this is a really sort of fun calculator on that side of it. Wow. I should have closed that out. All right. So here we go. So this is a calculator that we use pretty often. 
And it talks about what we will call a dynamic future value calculator, meaning dynamic, meaning what actually happened in various years, how much money do we have starting out? And then what happens when bad things happen? Like what, what does that look like? And so as I set this up, um, the first year I want to start with is 1970, because that's that's a number that we use quite a bit, because 1970, roughly through the end of the century, if you look at the S&P 500, was the the highest average rate of return ever in the market. That, that was kind of the best 30 years ever. And so if we take that and we say, hey, we're going to go we're going to go calculate for the next 30 years, right, using actuals from the S&P 500. And I'm going to give um, a hypothetical advisor fee or a load on the account of 1% just to make it a little bit more real. And then we're going to start our journey out with a million dollars in our account. And so if we never pull any money out of our account, that account is going to grow over the next 30 years. If we're honest about what's about to happen in retirement, we're actually going to start pulling the money out because that's kind of the whole goal. Yeah, pretty immediately. Right. And so I'm going to go pull $100,000 out every year during retirement. So a 10% pull rate. And if I look at 1970 through the end of the century, and I'm going to, for those of you watching, I'll, I'll kind of walk through it a little bit. But if you look at what happens, we start out with a million. And remember, this is the best 30 years ever in the market. And what you'll see really quickly in that sequence is right about the time you hit year 13, you're out of cash. Right. Um, now, this is the best 30 years ever in the market. And in that moment, year 11, you had a 32% rate of return. Year 10, you had a 18% rate of return. Year 7, 23. Year 6, 37. These are some Mondo returns in the market. In yeah, they're not small. Right. Now, in that particular order, in that particular sequence, you're out of money in 13 years, which is horrible, right? The the plane crash, to use Mary's story. But through the power of the internet here, what if we reversed the returns? We started with 2000 or 1999 and went back to, to 1970. Same so same years. returns, all we did is we just flip-flopped the order. Right. And so if we change that, and we do a different sequence, it's basically the, the same subset of returns, but just in a reverse order, then you never touch the ground. Yeah. 13... I mean, so 30 years into retirement, how much money do you have in that scenario? Yeah. You graduate the planet with 13, almost 0.2 million dollars. So what's crazy to me is that we're looking at exactly the same rates of return. We just changed the order that you received them in. So we changed the sequence of the returns, hence the name, sequence of return risk. Mm -hmm. And instead of running out of money 13 years in, you're able to take income the entire time and you have $13 million at the end of a 30-year time period. That's crazy because right. it's the same returns. Right. And it's the, order the matters. sequence that changed. Right? right. And and I think this is the thing is that people get so fixated on what rate am I getting? What rate am I getting? That they aren't paying any attention to the order that they're getting it in. And this is where if you don't take any losses until the back half of your retirement, you're probably just fine. But right. if you take losses early, it's catastrophic. And I think this is the perfect example of that because when you take the loss early, you deplete your principal 
And to your point earlier, right, you take the loss, you compound it with the withdrawal. And as the market recovers, if you are withdrawing the recovery, your portfolio doesn't recover, even though the market did. Right. And so a series of either a big loss early or a series of smaller losses over time can be completely catastrophic to your ability to take income for a 30 or 35 year time period. And if you're trying to retire early, this gets even worse because there's a longer time period that your assets need to be preserved. And so interestingly, you know, I, I had a conversation in the past couple of weeks um, with somebody where they were like, yeah, but if I get good returns and my account keeps growing in retirement, I don't need any of the strategies you talk about. Right. And my answer was, yeah, that's right. Can you guarantee that? Exactly. No, right. I don't, I don't know what sequence you're going to get. So why not implement a strategy that allows you to optimize your income, whether the market is good or whether the market is not good. Yeah. And it goes, and it goes to that point of if you can build in buffers for when the market is not so hot, right? If you can, if you can build, and I'm going to look at a slightly different sequence here, but same kind of concept. If you can build in buffers for when the market is down, then you have a higher likelihood of having more money than birthdays. So I'm going to use, for those of you seeing this, I'm going to use 1980, just because we, we use 1970 through the end of the century quite a bit, but that's not the only sequence that's out there, right? There's thousands and thousands and thousands of sequences out here. And I'm going to use that same trick, right? We're going to put a million in, we're going to pull 100K out, but we're starting in 1980 in this sequence. And in that model, what we're looking at is, just for those of you seeing it, right? No big losses, no big losses, no big losses. But then you've got 2007, 2008, 2009, right at the very end. Right. But even in that sequence, you're pulling 10%, $100,000 out of a million. You end up with about $4 million in your account at that point. But if you think about that 1970 through 1999 sequence, if it was a good sequence, you got $13 million in that other story. Right. So, here you only have four. Right. So even if you're winning, you lost $9 million of potential wealth. Because of the sequence you got. Because of the sequence that you got. And again, if we do this trick of reversing the returns, like we just changed the order in which it came, right? You, you know, you effectively in this story, you started your year out in 2009 and then went backwards. And so the very, you know, the second year into your retirement, you lost 37% of your portfolio. Mm-hmm. And really quickly, by the time you get to year 10, you're out of cash. You're home, Oof. right? But the whole reason that we talk so much about what if we built in a buffer so that we can handle the ups and downs of the markets is for just those moments. And so even if we had five years of a buffer, we, our normal uses, our normal model is we want seven to nine years of a buffer. Like that's a, that's a really healthy years, a number of years of buffer, meaning you can handle seven to nine years of down years in the market and still be okay, mm -hmm. right? And in this model, if we build in five years of a buffer and in that same story, right? For years three, four, five, six, and seven, for five years, right in the beginning of your retirement, right? Two years into retirement, you lost 37%. You're buffering a lot because 
your account's down 37%. Right. And just well, by and being if you able think about what happens, the years that you actually need the buffer or the years that your portfolio value is below what you started with. So in this scenario, we started right. with a million dollars and essentially we're looking for another source of income for the years that your portfolio value is under a million so right. that it has the ability to recover and get back to whole before you start pulling from it. So I like to call this idea creating a shock absorber yep. for market downturns. You, you have to have a totally different source of income that you can go to that has guarantees associated with it in order to be able to do this. And if you create that buffering account and you do it strategically, then it can totally change the trajectory of how long your money is going to last. So what does it do in this scenario, Eric, just those yeah. five years? Yeah, just those five years. And remember, in the original story on that side, we ran out of money in 10 years. And this one actually doesn't get all the way there, but it almost doubles what you can do. So yeah, it you, takes you out to 19 years. Yeah. And so if you're in this scenario, right, you're 65, uh, you're prouder, probably close to 85 at this point, 84, 85. And so it might not make it all the way through in that scenario, but you, you've almost doubled what you could have had in that scenario. What, what happens if you give it eight years? Because right. that's kind of the standard go-to. Right. And that's kind of what we look at, right? So with eight years, right? Because one of, one of the challenges in this particular sequence is you have the last decade, right? You've got okay. 2008 here, and you also have 2001 and 2002 built in. So you're, you're really having a, a, guff, a rough kind of go of it at this point. But if mm -hmm. you're in the mode where you've got eight years of a buffer then really at that point, you make it all the way through. Yeah, you end up 30 years in in this scenario with $2.8 million. So you weren't able to preserve the whole 4 million, right, that you would have had when these were reversed and everything was good. Right. But when you look at having an alternate source of capital, if there are eight years that you can go elsewhere to create mm -hmm. income, then you can take higher income rates and have it be safe. Because if you think about what you're really doing here, if you are taking a three to 4% withdrawal rate, even if the market outperforms those numbers, you don't know when a loss could be coming. And so you have right. to be overly conservative for at least the first half of your retirement, if not the entire time. And you can only start to increase what you get to spend and enjoy when you have material improvement in the value of your account. Whereas if you've got an alternate source of capital so that you can buffer or create a shock absorber for a bad sequence of returns, right. then you have the ability to enjoy more money from the very beginning of your retirement. And I think this is a key point because so much of what we talk about when you think about conventional planning is about deferring your gratification until retirement. It's live right. on less, live on less, put more money away, save more, save more, save more. And then you get to retirement and you're supposed to be able to enjoy it. But if instead you're restricted to a lower distribution rate because you're trying to maintain solvency for basically as long as you were working in the first place, then you're in a position where you are still deferring gratification in the hopes of good market sequences, as opposed to planning from the very beginning for efficiency and enjoyment. Right. Well, and it flies in the face of how we actually do retirement, 
Like if you think through how retirement actually works, we call it the go-go years, the slow-go years and the no-go years. Yeah. Like I don't want to defer all of this enjoyment that I've been planning on during the go-go years so that when I'm in this story, right, 65 to 75, the first moment that I even get a little bit of relief is I'm 75 and I may not have the ability to go do all the trips and to go climb Machu Picchu or whatever it is that you want to go do. Right. And so all of it is sort of about having less. And th this is the West Texas coming out in me. I don't want to be told what to do. Right. Yeah. And, and for me as an advisor, I don't want to have to have the relationship between the client and I to be scolding them because they spent too much money and they enjoyed their lives. Right. Like that's, that's not and how I want to have to go. No. And I don't want that for myself either. And so it's, you look at this and if the choice is spend less, enjoy less, or plan for something that works under any scenario, good right. or bad, then you have the ability to have more enjoyment during the years that you can actually really enjoy the money. And that it's not just about efficiency. It's about, it's about managing risk because we don't actually know what the risk is. And a lot of times with conventional advice, we hear advisors um, really begin to focus on, well, we're going to change the allocation to minimize volatility. Well, when you do that, you're also minimizing returns in most case scenarios. And right. so if we have the ability to still shoot for bigger returns, because we have an actual plan for dealing with the volatility and a bad sequence, then you don't have to sacrifice return or lifestyle. You have the ability to actively deal with those things and, and do it in a way that creates more benefit for you. And it, it just and I'll, requires you to change your thinking, right? Because yeah. you can't solve a problem with the same thinking that got you into it in the first place. Right. And it goes to the, and I'll wrap up with this because I think it's, I think it's the perfect ending for this, but it goes to a thing you say all the time. Most people are living a life of default, not a life of design, right? And it's how do we give them that design so that they get to live the life that they want, not the life they end up with. Yeah. I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to add on to that. If you are living your life by reacting to whatever is happening around you and you are never proactively planning to give yourself choices for when you get the bad things in life thrown your way, right. then I'm going to say this here in my Texas accent, you get what you get and you don't throw a fit, right? <laughs> that, that is not how I want to live my retirement. I want to proactively like build a strategy around how do I deal with the real problems? Because we know what the problems are. The problems <laughs> are sequence of return risk and either and, and mortality risk. Either you die early, right? And can't produce the money that was going to be there for your spouse's retirement, or you live too long and you outlive the money. So if we have the ability to deal with sequence of return risk and mortality risk in a way that allows you to have more enjoyment in your life, why wouldn't you explore that, right? That's that's the easy part is that this these are solvable problems. It's just a matter of like how many people actually are thinking about this when they're in the middle of raising their kids. They're dealing with the immediate problems as opposed to thinking about, okay, how can I hit the easy button right now and solve problems that are gonna happen in the future so I get a permission slip to enjoy my dollars today and enjoy my dollars when I'm retiring. 
And all it does is require a change in the way you are thinking about your money. And once you have that shift in mindset, the strategies and the tools are going to emerge and it becomes very easy to create a life you're excited about. Yeah. Amen. All right. Where Eric, can they find where can you? I find you? <laughs> there we go. We're just going to talk over each other. Right. You go first. Where can all they right. find you? Economics with Eric, wherever you use social media. And you can find me at The Wealth Woman. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, guys. Thank you.